Uh, hello my friends, hello my life warriors, wherever you are in the world Welcome to the Day In Day Out Podcast Woo! Today on episode 204 I had the immense pleasure of having Christine Handy on the podcast She is a model, a breast cancer disruptor Brand model, best-selling author, motivational speaker, mentor, uh, mother, uh, humanitarian. To say the least, I don't know how she does it all with the 24 hours in one day. But nevertheless, she does. And she is an amazing person to talk to. A joy to have on the show. So please, oh, we talked about a number of things. We talked about, yes, her battle against uh, cancer. Uh, We talked about, like, yes, what motivates her. We all also talked about the couple of non-profits she works on uh, to make people's lives better. All in all, it was a very educational conversation and I really appreciated her time. So please sit back, enjoy the show. Don't forget, subscribe. It really does help. And yeah, have an awesome day. Oh yeah. Yes. Peace. Ha-ha. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Hello, my friends. Hello, my life warriors. Wherever you are in the world, welcome to the Day In, Day Out podcast. Woo! Today on episode 204. Yes, I am very privileged and lucky to have our Christina Handy on the podcast. Ha, she is a model, ah, a breast cancer disruptor, brand model, best-selling author, ah, motivational speaker, mentor, mother, humanitarian, and yes, yeah, she flies on the weekends. That's another story. Uh, I think she's part of a secret assassin cult, what all models are part of. Uh, I can't go into too much detail. Hey, how are you doing, my lady? How are you? Uh, oh, well, I'm just privileged to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, my God. Yes. You know what? When I got the message from you and I, I started looking through, like, how can I say... Yes, your your achievements. I, I felt tired. I felt a little bit lazy. <laughs> I'm always tired, but I don't I, I don't do I don't do small talk and I don't have a social life. All I do is work. So that's my mission. I, well, like, yeah, it's one hell of a mission statement right there, my lady. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like so how do you get the time to get things done? Because just reading off the list, you know what I mean? And plus you've got your book, which has been turned into a movie. So, yeah, you get, you get what I mean. How? I get. <laughs> well, I have a lot of people in my life who say it's not very balanced, that I need to work on balance. But I have a lot of things that I'm trying to accomplish. And what I'm trying to accomplish is change people's perception of themselves to nurture women's self-esteem, to empower people, to give people hope through pain and trauma. Mm. And there's a lot of people that need help. So that's my mission. That's my goal. I'm a cancer disruptor because I think cancer is a very frightful, frightening and frightful world and, and people need hope in that space. Yeah, because like this is the thing. Many a person would say, oh, yeah, I'm a cancer survivor or I'm fighting like cancer. But like, yeah, you're the first person I've ever actually met who said, yeah, I'm a disruptor of cancer. Why the term disruptor? Well, that's a new title for me. I've been a cancer survivor for eight years. And I've just recently gotten that title from other people, actually. And it's because after my mastectomies in 2013 and 2016, I had implants. And 
um, in 2020, the summer of 2020, when the whole world was shut down from COVID, I was in and out of the hospital for a staph and then MRSA infection in my chest, in my implants. And, and my implants had to be excavated and I've now become flat or what I like to say concave. Um, and so I became a cancer disruptor then because I started to speak out about the impact implants have on people. You know, there's this thing called breast implant illness and it's a real thing and it happens to a lot of women. Mm -hmm. And so being concave or being flat or choosing not to get reconstruction after breast cancer is kind of uh, being a renegade and being a disruptor because cancer is a business like everything else. Medicine is a business and most doctors, they want you to reconstruction. Why? It's another surgery. You, you, you know, they get paid a lot of money to do that. The implant companies get paid a lot of money for you to buy those implants or for your insurance companies to, to buy those implants for you. Mm. And so, and so by speaking out against that, I'm not saying I'm against implants. I'm not, I loved my implants until they didn't love me. What I'm saying is there are other options. Being flat is beautiful just Mm. because it doesn't look like the world. It doesn't mean it's less beautiful. And so that's why I have the, the new title called uh, cancer, breast cancer disruptor, cancer disruptor, really. Yeah, yeah, because like this is a thing, well, like sort of social norms and stuff like that with regards to how ladies look. Um, yeah, basically, exactly. it's one of those things where, okay, if they're like too big, too small, blah, 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 what the realm is perfect with that with regards to women's like breasts and also like yeah to like go okay yeah this is me and like you know what i mean hold up that sort of battle scars of what you've gone through i i could say it's like fairly brave but i can understand sometimes how people can like not get it if you go at me i have a very big social media presence And I don't say that out of a pride issue. I say that because I've affected a lot of people's lives and I've given them hope. Yeah. I get the back messages from those people. And those messages to me are keep doing what you're doing. Keep up, keep showcasing what flat looks like because we are too afraid. We are too ashamed. We are too scared to do that. Even with our own husbands, we wear prosthetics to bed. We wear, we mask it. So by you parading it, right? Like I'm, I'm still a model. I'm, I'm going to be modeling in New York Fashion Week in the spring, flat chested, flat chested. And so I get the back messages of people saying, "Keep doing it. You're giving us courage." And so that's why I'm doing it. Yeah, you see, uh, now that's the sort of body positivity I can sort of get behind. Um, like you know what I mean? Right. Yes. Yes, it's true though. I'm just as beautiful with or without breasts as I want, you know, it's, it's, it's not negotiable and I don't need anybody to justify that. My, my sense of self-love comes from within, not from without. Mm. But like, this is a thing I would say, like with that over the course of time and that eight years battle and stuff like this, this is giving you uh, most probably an excellent sort of time to do a lot of self-reflection where other people don't have that sort of, well, they don't have it or that opportunity, not saying cancer's opportunity, but they don't take the time to make that opportunity to have that type of reflection, to sort of get that sort of comfortable or just well with themselves, if you get what I mean. I spent 41 years being uncomfortable with myself and Mm -hmm. having very little self-esteem. 
And so I've spent the last 10 years since then working on my self-esteem to be, to be a cancer disruptor, to be a renegade for this world, to say, no, that doesn't work. It didn't work for me. I didn't feel very good about myself for 41 years. Mm. I didn't want to live like that anymore. After you're faced with life and death, like I, like I was, you know, you, you take, well, it's a choice how you, how you react to that. But for me, I thought, okay, okay, now I have a shorter life, most likely. And what am I going to do with that life? I'm going to, I'm going to serve, I'm going to lead and I'm going to inspire. And when it's over, I'm good with that because I've done everything in my power to try to save people from living the way I used to live. Mm. No, right. It's the thing. I get that. I understand that. And like, this is like it also like when people say you've got to get a little bit more balance, like the whole sort of like concept, how can I say not concept, but the whole like reality of you had to go through where, okay, like, like we've all kind of had a touch of our mortality with regards to what 2020 was and like, oh, like it's hanging over us, but that kind of quickly fades. Yeah. But when you're sort of going through an eight-year battle or like with like a, a disease which can like just like a hey, I'm I'm here, I'm here. <laughs> just it might not be today, but I'm here. You're like going, okay, you're like the sort of real sense of mortality and like basically time wasting is like very real. And I kind of I can't imagine you like I okay, yeah. Time is precious, time is real, and it is fleeting. Let me do as much as I can to help be that. Sir. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and maybe, you know, you don't have to be faced with death like that. Maybe you don't have to be faced with great illness. Maybe you just listen to a podcast like this and go, you know what? She's right. I haven't been diagnosed with this. I haven't gone through that trauma. But but the truth is, we all have an expiration date. Mm. Just it, everybody does. And so maybe somebody will take this podcast and go, OK, I'm going to live a little bit more full each day. Maybe I'm going to do some more introspection. Maybe I'm going to look at my life and make some different choices. Right. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. I, but like, this is, I, I often find like, yes, when the realm of mortality, like when someone passes and like when you're at a certain, well, not even at a certain age, but just like, yeah, you're like, ah, oh, no, I lost that person from my life. I got to do more and I got to be more and everything like this. Then a couple of weeks go by and another couple of weeks go by and another couple of weeks and, you live in that sort of realm of ah, blissful ignorance, as they say, which yep. <laughs> uh, I get it. I know it. I yeah. did it. I lived it. Mm-hmm. So with this, like when was the, the sort of, okay, I can't imagine it was the diagnosis was that epiphanal moment, but when was that epiphanal moment, which came to you? No, it was definitely not the diagnosis that day. Uh, I very much don't remember. <laughs> Um, (laughs) but it was, it was within a couple months. So I went through chemotherapy for 15 months. So although I had a, sorry, go ahead. No, I said, no, I said, Oh God, not like I wasn't like going to be in the truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a number. It's a, it's a strong amount of time. Mm. Although I had a fair amount of people that were surrounding me and helping me through that time, there was a lot of alone time too. You know, when you're waiting, to go into surgery, when you're waiting to go into chemo or when you're in chemotherapy, when you're in the chemo chair, plugged into the chemotherapy, there's a lot of time where you're you're alone. And I chose to do a lot of introspection and figuring out who I was during that time, because quite honestly, I didn't know who I was. I was this, I was a model. I knew that. I knew that my external value was important to some people. I knew that 
my external value was a paycheck for me. But I didn't know what was inside of me until I was faced with my mortality. Then I started to ask myself questions. What keeps you up at night? What things do you love? What do you want your life to look going forward? And I stopped meditating on the voice in my head that was saying, you're not worthy. You're not good enough. And I changed that tape in my own head. What did you change that tape to? You are worthy. You are good enough. And it doesn't matter what the exterior shell looks like. It comes from inside. Your worth comes from inside. Mm. Like the worth coming from inside. Like this is the thing. When people have talked to you about this, like what has, like, is there a sort of common theme that people come to you with? Like go this, 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 this about my life or that, that, that about my life. And yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. What? I think, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people here inside their head, people that have criticized them. Mm. Right. I mean, that's a common theme. And we take the criticism from other people and we start to tell ourselves that because we meditate on, on those smaller instances of that talk versus the huge, enormous vocabulary of times when people have uplifted us and, and given us accolades, we take the smaller ones, right? We take the smaller conversations and we meditate on those. We cling to those. And then we take those conversations, those negative conversations or those criticisms, and then we start playing that in our head. And then we start adding to it. Oh, so-and-so thinks that I'm not worthy. Well, I'm really not. And these are the reasons why. Like we add to that narrative. And so I stopped that. I, I, I had to actually get rid of people out of my life that weren't lifting me up, that weren't cheering me on. And I replaced those people with people that wanted to nurture me, wanted to love me, wanted to show me what self-love looked like. And once I replaced those people, I started to believe in myself more. Mm. Yeah, because like this is the thing. One of the things <laughs> what always makes me chuckle and like it's like, you had to go through this sort of path of self-development and basically finding yourself and which now when you're like, when you go, yes, I had to let some people out of my life and everything like this, that is not easy. There may have been like sort of some really good happy moments where like, yeah, you may have been one or two drinks too much drunk and like, yeah, like, you know what I mean? Those moments where you might be like, yeah, sat down and stuff like this, but ultimately those are outweighed by the sort of negativity they might bring to the table but it's still painful trying like removing these people out of your lives with that type of pain like what did you say to yourself what did you kind of do to sort of like you know what I mean not sort of mitigate it but how did you manage to face it down over all that time well for me I I actually have been going through a divorce and so Yes, that is painful. And it is hard to eliminate somebody like that. That's like the ultimate, right? Elimination. Mm -hmm. um, and the way I have handled it is because I've rebuilt my self-esteem on my faith. I've rebuilt my self-esteem on solid ground. So my self-esteem previously was very dependent on outside accolades, was very dependent on external beauty, was very dependent on materialism. But those things are fleeting and those things can obviously be taken away. Look, I lost what I look like by going through chemotherapy, people lose their money all the time. And then those things are gone. Materialism is gone. And so if you build yourself on those things, those false idols, this, the, 
really your footing is on sand, right? And you can fall right through it. But when I rebuilt my self-esteem on concrete in a solid foundation and faith in God, then when I went now that I've been going through my divorce, my, my self-esteem is unshakable. My mm. sense of self-worth is unshakable. Now there's days where I'm lonely and there's days that I'm, I question it. Right. But 99.9% of the time I'm saying to myself, no, you don't want people that are tearing you down. God will protect you. Your faith will ensure that you have a future. Right. And so that's the difference for me. I just don't, I didn't rebuild my life on sand. I rebuilt it on solid ground. Mm, yeah like this is the thing i think with if you're not asking yourself that question on a regular basis time and time again i think you're not actually really challenging yourself to get better you're not actually going like i think you're most probably going down an easy path which don't get me wrong there's times in life where yeah having it easy it like brings a smile to your like face but it doesn't actually lead to any sort of like real growth or like basically real development so like, yeah, if you're not asking those questions, like, um, yeah, am I doing the right thing? And like, is this not going right? It's like, what? Yeah, I think you can easily get lost in the, in the reads and like not having a strong belief in someone or like having a religious belief to keep you on track. I can understand why people can get lost quite easily. Um, like vision and purpose is one of the things I like to say, no vision, no purpose you get lost very easily. Yeah, you're right. Mm. Well said. Why, why, thank you. I, I sometimes have one or two things uh, if I'm not going through model conspiracies of like taking over the world and stuff like this. Yeah. Or singing. Hey, hey. no, no. Oh, I do not sing. Oh, don't, don't. How dare you? These baseless accusations. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah so like with that like this this the reason why okay i i have been doing a little bit of snooping on your oh, profile perfect. Uh, yes like you decided to you know what i've i've gone through i've gone through the battle with cancer i i've disrupted it because that's what that's what i'm about you you decided to go yeah you know what life is like life is a little bit easy. Um, I'm going to go to Harvard. Say, <laughs> and I, I like, yeah, do a master's degree in creative writing. Like, right. Where did that come from? Well, that's a very good question. I appreciate the question. Uh, okay. So, so after 28 rounds of chemotherapy, I had terrible chemo brain. Okay. And let me, let me explain what chemo brain looks like. You have no short-term memory. You can't remember your best friend's name. For me, I would drive down the street and forget which side I was supposed to be driving on. If there were no cars around, I would literally have to pull to the side of the street until I saw a car driving. So I would figure out which car side of the street to drive on. That literally happened to me many times. And so I knew that I needed to go back to school to help my brain mm. because I was the only one that could make it better. You know, I could cry all day long and I could say, well, this isn't fair. I shouldn't have had to, I, I had to go through chemotherapy. That's not fair. What, where does that get you? That's paralysis, right? And so I finally had to, you know, pull up my pants and go, okay, we got to do something about this. Like self-talk, we got to do something about this. And by that point I had rebuilt my, my self-esteem, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I, I might as well apply to an Ivy League school. Why? Because I believe in myself. 
And you know what? I believed in myself enough to know that if they said no, I'd be okay. And so I applied to Harvard to get my brains right in a subject that I was interested in. And guess what? They took me. And I've been doing it for a year and a half and I have no more chemo brain. So it works. Well, <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know what? Uh, Easy uh, enough, right? Well, hey, no, no. <laughs> she just, ah, I like it. I love it. No, like I'm, jo- I'm joking. There's nothing easy about what I just said. There's nothing easy about those decisions. There's nothing easy about what I went through. But those are choices that we have to make to help ourselves. No, like, but this is the thing where uh, when uh, Harvard, like it, Harvard, Yale, uh, Princeton, Stanford, Stanford, Duke. yeah, but like these, like in the United States to the outer world, it's like, yeah, Harvard and Yale, like depending which side of the coin you are, then like number one and two, uh, like, sorry, Wharton Business School, it's just the way it is, <laughs> but like, yeah, it's like, look. But like, yeah, when like to like go, yeah, I'm going to Harvard. Yeah, Ivy League school to like hate work out my brain. Uh to it's like going, okay, you know what? Sod it. I haven't trained for a number of years, but I'm I like I like the look of CrossFit over there. I'm just gonna <laughs> go to the CrossFit games. That, that is some hard schooling right there. Like, so how, like how did you manage to get in? How do you with chemo brain, how did you manage to get in? Well, quite literally, I put that on my application. I literally said, I, this is my transcript from, from college. And I had very, a very high GPA. So it wasn't mm. like they took somebody that didn't have good grades in math, but I, that was 30 years ago. Well, not quite, but yeah, close to that. No, no, it was and, like only about five years ago. So, yeah, 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 we're, we're going to go with that. But it was a long, it was a long time ago, but I took my transcript, I sent it to them. And in my essay, I literally said, I had, I went through breast cancer, I had chemotherapy and chemo changed my brain. I'm, I am in the, I'm in a great, I have a great zeal, a great pursuit to make it right again. And I would like you to be a steward to help me do that. Give me the opportunity to help myself. And they took me. Well, like, you know what? That was like, well, very eloquently put in such a short space of time. Wow, I'm not surprised they took you. Ah, so well, I'm in the I'm in the create literature and creative writing master's program. So my vocabulary has been expanding. I've become a better writer, <laughs> a better orator, I suppose. Yes, well, I, I would hope so. With like, yeah, yeah the sort exactly. of Harvard money you have to spend on your education, that, that, that ain't cheap. Exactly. <laughs> that ain't cheap at all. So, yes. so with this, like, you're a year and a half in. Like, what would you say were? What would you say was one of the biggest surprises? And yeah, what would you say was the greatest challenge? Like getting into like doing this in Harvard. Um. I think one of the biggest surprises was the resources that are available. So, you know, they have one of the most extensive libraries in the world. Yeah. And I have access to all the resources on campus and outside of campus online. So that was been, that has been the greatest gift. I think obviously the greatest challenge is one going back to school as a 51 year old, but also somebody with chemo brain, it's been markedly different it's been markedly difficult, meaning I thought it was going to be hard. It's much harder than I thought. 
it's been a very big time commitment. So each class is about 16 to 20 hours a week of work outside of class time. Wow. Per class, per class. And, and when I saw, when I read that before I started school, I was like, oh, that's not going to be me. It's not going to take me 16 to 20 hours outside of classwork. It takes me 16 to 20 hours a week. It's, it's, it's a rigorous curriculum. How many classes are you doing a semester? Well, I take one. So I'm halfway through my master's program. So Mm -hmm. I do the whole year. So I do, I do each semester and I do summer program. And so I do one class at a time, which means I'll, I'll complete the master's in three years. Um, But I also work. And so I don't have 40 hours a week to do it. I don't have that time or I wouldn't have an income. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't be able to pay for it. Yeah. You will be able to do it, but it's like, uh, can't pay for it. (laughs) Penny, you owe us money. (laughs) There's a reason why Harvard and Yale or Harvard and Yale, we have an excellent collection team. (laughs) It's Ivy League. (laughs) Yes. Ah, brilliant. Because like, this is the thing, like going back to school, reach out, like challenging yourself and look, the sort of like hey, carefree days where, you know what I mean? You, you woke up, you, you scrounged together, whatever sort of breakfast. And then you like showed up to class either like on time late or maybe just right. I've missed it. It's a different game when you're playing it later in life, because it's like, okay, you kind of truly know what you want and you're making that sort of like time and like financial commitment, um, regardless in comparison to when you're you're young and dumb (laughs) and let's have some fun, you know? Yeah. Uh, So I am curious. Like, okay. I look. Just speaking to you now, yes. Are you a motivational person? Yes, I, I get that. But how did you, milady, uh, become a motivational speaker? Well, I did publish a book in 2016, a fictional depiction of my life. And that gave me a platform to, that gave me a bigger audience to start speaking. And if you think about it, I was in front of a camera for 25 to 30 years as a model. And so Mm. I was already very comfortable in front of a camera and I have, and I was kind of a extrovert for a long time. And so I thought, okay, well, I want to speak to bigger audience. I want my story to get out there because I know how many people I can help. Well, I I think I know how many people I have helped. I want to have a bigger audience. And so the only way that I can do that, I believe, believed was to start speaking. And so when I started speaking, of course, I got a bigger audience. And then I expanded it to social media and things like that. But you never really know how your story will affect people unless you try. Mm. And you also and you also don't really know how, how much you can affect somebody until you become very vulnerable. And what I mean by that is, it's easy for me to say these things to you. Oh, I applied to Harvard, I got in. Yeah. Oh, my friend showed up for me, whatever. But uh, what we don't talk about maybe on this podcast is there were many nights when I was going through chemotherapy that I wasn't sure I was going to wake up the next morning. There were many days I couldn't get off the bathroom floor. And those parts I put in my book, because you don't want to just put the good and the flowery and the fluff, right? You need to put the bad and the ugly and the vulnerable in order for people to relate. Because people feel alone in their stories. People feel alone in their pain. I don't want people to feel alone. And so I don't want to paint a false picture. 
And I'm vigilant about this on my social media because I think social media can be so misleading and it can, it teaches our world that filters and a facade is acceptable and it's not, that doesn't help anybody, including yourself. Mm. No, like you very good points there because look with regards to like, yeah, the highs and lows, like I'm touching on like, yeah, because I want to sort of get a richness of who you are. So I'm talking about, yeah, some of the very sort of positive like peaks in your life. Look, I understand from a fact that, okay, 15, mo- 15 months of chemotherapy is, that is not some easy road. That is some very hard road indeed. And like, yeah, I can only imagine some of the mornings you've had. I can only imagine some of the days. And it's, um, how can I put it? As someone who's had friends who've had like cancer and stuff like this, it's a really sort of weird place because when like the sort of the first, when you have friends first hear about it, everyone flocks to you. And it's like, yeah. Exactly. Oh, we're there for you. Oh, we're there for you. And like, yeah. Then over the course of that time, it's, how can I put it without, it's, there's less flocking and it's a case of like occasional, like, are you okay? Is everything going fine? And you kind of like you get that sort of pop in. It's a little bit more than a regular friendship over distance, but yeah, it's not true. there as frequent. But when you kind of look at social media, the highlight reel of most human lives, it's like, yeah, you never get the fullness and the richness of someone's story. You never actually understand the trials and tribulations, what people go through. It's like, yes, ah. Oh, I'm happy all the time. If you looked at social media, that's what it would be. My right. life is perfect. Right. Like where it's like, I'm, oh, uh, I'm manic depressive. Um, I've got a whole world of debt trying to keep up this like BS lifestyle. And yeah, um, what I wouldn't do just to have one honest conversation or have one honest friend in my corner. <laughs> it is just, it's sometimes maddening, you know? That's how I see it. But yeah, sometimes well, it's, um, you know, the suicide rate for young people has gone up exponentially mm. because of social media, because of COVID. And we as adults have to take some responsibility in that. And so I have a, I have mostly an older, I mean, you know, kind of my age audience. Mm. I would love to have a younger audience so that they could watch me be honest. We need younger people doing what I'm doing so that they can shed some light into this very, very dangerous, dangerous topic. Mm. Yeah, I think with regards to young people growing up in this, well, topsy-turvy, like, yeah, um, 21st century world where, okay, look, um, I'm sure like you've done some idiotic things when you were younger, I have done some idiotic things as well. But like, this is the thing when you're younger, you know, like in our age, like day and age, it would disappear. And like, yeah. yeah. And you'll have the occasional friend. You're like, you remember when you did this? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sh- shut up. <laughs> it's like, but, yes. like, yeah, that's so true. But now these type of yeah. things. That's true. <laughs> with them forever like some like um uh what is that one what was the name of the book with the a um uh, i can't remember like basically you like if you had this mark of an a i can't remember the name of the book it was a lady who had it was like this it was like a scarlet letter or something like that was it a scarlet letter? 
but that type of digital scar letter uh, hangs with them forever and a day. And I don't think they have the opportunity to have like many a real conversation to like really know uh, to, I even say it like as an adult uh, to really sort of have true friends in your corner because that sometimes is even lacking in like, you know what I mean? In our age and demographic. So, you know what I mean? So trying to go say that in today's kids growing up, no, it's quite mad. And if you looked at what with the Facebook leak uh, not so long ago, <laughs> that you kind of like go, oh, yeah, are they out for our best interests? Mm. No, you're right. You're spot on. Yeah. How's that? How's that Pepsi? It looks really good. <laughs> it's sugar free. Like, you know what? Pepsi. Diet. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> if, if you want, if you want to sponsor a podcast, hey. <laughs> Just the sugar free kind, Pepsi Max. <laughs> it's like, I'm, look, don't get jealous of Pepsi. Don't. <laughs> it's like, I, 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 you're about to go, like, um, two days later. I really I want a Pepsi I Max. Brand, I have brands sponsor me. I get it. I don't have okay. any, I don't have any of my brands out right now, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, I don't have any of my brands right now. Oh, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so, with this, like, okay. Like, what made you go, okay, you know what? Okay, signed up to Harvard, yeah. Like, disrupted breast cancer, yeah. Um, became an internal speaker, yeah. Like, I miss it. <laughs> I'm going to write a book. Come on. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Like, oh, my God, this is really funny. Um, well, and you're right. You're right. Like I told you, I have no balance in my life. Hey. Um, <laughs> uh, I, you know, writing is, is very, it, writing helps me a lot. I'm a better writer than I am an orator. Mm. And, and I'm getting better at it because I'm in Harvard. It doesn't mean that Harvard is, is making me better. I'm just better at it because I'm being schooled in it. Right. I'm learning. But I wanted to write my story because I thought it was important to show how you can use pain and turn it into purpose. I also thought my book was important because it showed how women, people uniting was so powerful. And quite honestly, if women, my, the women, my troops, my team had not showed up for me, I wouldn't be here. They shored me on. They cheered for me until I was able to cheer for myself. I quit. I give up. I really, I really gave up when I was diagnosed with cancer. I had had two other major illnesses at that point. My self-esteem was zero and I had given up on myself. They stepped in until I was fierce enough to walk on this journey alone. And so my book was important to show that because I think in our world, it's so divisive, especially now that we're just, we're tearing each other apart. We're judging, we're labeling and we're taking, we're putting people in boxes and that's destructive. And I wanted to show how not to do that. I wanted to show a better way. And that's called unity. And it's listening to each other's story. Storytelling is powerful because when you talk about your story, when you tell uh, your tale, so to speak, it's, sh it's sharing in a way that people can relate to. And so if we can all share our stories, there's going to be way less judgment. There's going to be way more, less labeling and there's going to be way less comparison. And so I thought that that was important for me to share. 
Mm. Yeah. And like, this is the thing. When you say yes, you gave up and like, yes, your like your sisters came out and supported you. Like, was it one of those things which, okay, when someone goes through an illness, friend, you expect friends and family to show up and you might be surprised at which friends and which family do show up. And sometimes it comes completely out of left field. And sometimes you might be disappointed at the ones who don't show up. But like to like, oh, okay, like this band of women came and supported you. Did like, did it surprise you or was it a case of it's like, wow, I didn't know it could be this way. It surprised me because I was so dependent on my external value that I didn't think people would show up for me when I lost that. And when they, when they said to me, oh no, we don't love you for what you can do for us. It's not transactional. We love you for who you are. I didn't love me for who I was. It was transactional for me. Mm. Like when I had, when I had a dark day, I'd go buy a new bag or I'd go meet a friend for lunch and have a glass of wine because I was trying to fill myself, my loneliness, my confusion up. And so when they started to show up for me without the external beauty, without any transaction, I was like, wow, people like me, mm. like, the re- like the real me, that was surprising to me. And once, and when they started to not only show up for me, but they used to say, well, yeah, we love you for this or we, because of your spirit, because of your soul, because of your kindness, because of not the things that I was doing, but the being right. Mm -hmm. Then I was like, they were teaching me about myself and I believed them. And so that gave me some courage to start believing in myself. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the, that was the shift right there. Yeah, no, like this is the thing. Uh, yeah, so like this is the thing. Like with with that type of like situation, I can only imagine now. Like, okay, the sort of differences. Like, yeah, when you had the dark day, okay, yes, I'll buy a bag. Oh, lovely pair of shoes. Oh, like, yeah, exactly. have a glass of wine. Like, basically, how can I put it? The classic sex in the city remedy for life. <laughs> Samantha. Mm, don't ask me the character's name, but that's the only one. Oh, Samantha. Yeah, and she's the one that had breast cancer. Actually, you you nailed it. Right. Yeah. So, like, what now had, like, how do you, like, when those dark dates come, hopefully less frequently, how do you deal with it now? What is the sort of, like, coping, like, not coping, how do you sort of overcome, say? It's so different because I haven't built my life on external value. Mm-hmm. I've built it from the inside out. And what does that mean? I don't allow myself to be around people that tear me down. I don't allow my own voices that are negative to come out. I stop them. I take that thought captive and I change it. I listen to things that are different. So now I play different music than I used to play. I don't watch the news because it's fear-based. I, I, you know, people on social media, I'm very discerning about who I follow. I'm not going to follow people that have materialism as their idols. I'm not going to follow people that worship things of this world because those things are temporal. They can be taken away so easily. I follow people that have that nurture hope and, you know, worship not things and not people. Um, But for me, God. And, and I listen to podcasts like this that are uplifting, that are storytelling, that show people that give value, right? I want value in my life. I'm, time is limited. It's our greatest resource. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to spend an hour of my day on something, 
I want to listen to something like this where somebody's taken their life and, and mistakes and said, okay, no, this is a better way. And that's time value, right? And so that's how I live my life every day. And it's totally different than the way I used to cope. Coping now is pouring into myself, teach using learning, right? Going to school, learning from podcasts, learning from music, learning from social media. I'm not learning from people that are putting out a fake facade. I'm learning from people that are pouring out wisdom. Ah, a seeker of wisdom. Ah, if only there was more of us out there like that. But yeah, no, I'm liking that because like I can only imagine like you, like if you had a room you could go into and like yourself now meeting your younger self, what type of conversation would that be? <laughs> well, I would hug her. Um, I actually have a picture of myself as a child and I put it in my bathroom. Mm. And the reason I do that is because I look at that picture each day and I say, I will protect you. I've got you. And part of the problem for me was when I was a young girl, I was taught that a man is the only person that could take care of you. I was taught that you, I didn't have enough, I didn't have enough intelligence to do anything but be a model. And so to go from that to being independent and what I have accomplished, we're, they're two different people. And so I would hug that girl and say, I'm so sorry that you believed that. I'm so sorry that those people said that to you and you believed them. Yeah, because I'd say like, this is the thing. So many people out there today don't actually understand they are enough. They don't actually believe they are enough because look, there are people you like, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, I believe like with the sort of Mr. Rogers sort of like going, yeah, all of everyone is special. You've got that special source. I go like, and I go, you're right. But, but if yeah. you don't actually get up and like do the work, if you don't actually like have that belief and get like understand that you are enough to bring out that sort of special source, to bring out those special qualities to make your life better, to make other people's lives better, it yeah, it doesn't like, work. No, it, it doesn't, doesn't work. work. No, it doesn't work. And and we we cannot be on this podcast and say that's what you need to do without telling how to do it. Yeah. It doesn't help yeah. people. Yes. And Mr. Rogers, you know, saying, oh, you're enough. I listen. I listened to that garbage for a long time. Nobody taught me the tools. I taught myself. Mm. And let me tell you, it's a lot of work. I still work on it. I work on my self-esteem every day. It's like going to school when you work on your brain. It's like going to the gym when you work on your body and your muscles. You have to work on your self-esteem. You have to spend time in that space. It's ugly. It's challenging. It's dirty. It's messy. Mm. You have to, you know, I mean, listen, you've lived for me. I've listened to people for 50 years. Right. And some of it is really cloudy, but I have to do the work to say, okay, no, I'm going to get rid of that. I'm going to get rid of that false belief. I'm going to get rid of that unworthiness. But those are things that, that they take time and they take energy but we have to set out the time to do it or we're never going to change. No, I agree. And I think that's one of the things like, okay, look, last year we all had 
a healthy chunk of time given back to us. And yeah, whether, however we use that time was up to how we use that time. Exactly. But That's a choice. Yeah. That's a choice. It is a choice. And like the whole thing is, I think some people work to themselves. Some people watch Netflix. Some people like, like chose to like wallow in it. Some people went, okay, I'm better than this. Whatever course of action these people took, it was up to them. But the whole thing is you can't just say, okay, just because you had this chunk of time given back to you. And then now it's now we're slowly going back or depending where you are, <laughs> Miami, <laughs> you, were, you were back for a long time, even when it was not the, how can I say, not the wisest idea, but you were back for a very long time. It is one of those things where people went, I'm going to work on myself. And then like life came back to what they sort of went, this is my equilibrium. This is my normal. Yeah. And they stopped working on themselves when they could have just been so close to discover a lot more. And it's not a case of, ah, uh, what, untold riches? Well, depends on what you consider those riches. If it's financial, maybe. If it's actual spiritual, yeah, maybe. If it's just mental, maybe. But that was your choice to make out there, whoever you might be. So, you know what I mean? Like, see That's stuff. true. Yeah. That's very true. Very well said. Yeah. So, like, this is the thing with like with this and like, yes, your book coming out and everything like this turned into a movie. Like, what would you want to be not a legacy, but what would you like the sort of next few years to be? What direction would you like it to be, go into? Well, sometimes people ask me, would you rather be famous or rich? And I always say famous because the only way I will ever be famous is by changing lives and giving people hope who wouldn't want that right mm -hmm. it's a privilege to help other people and so I think for me being a cancer disruptor and teaching people and being a leader being a woman empowerer that's the greatest privilege I have right now and that's what I want to keep pursuing and so the bigger audience for me the better because I'm I'm able to help other people mm. like yeah I think you're basically take, uh, you're taking the harder road because like okay like from what I've seen in this like big, this big glorious world we live in, um, like yes, anyone who tries to go down the sort of realm of positivity and like yeah, basically self growth on that side of things, it's just a harder road because people don't want to hear that. They rather like stick with the negativity and like the That's exactly right. mud slinging. So uh, yeah, you just see everything go from like zero to like some unbelievable growth but what they're putting into the world oh oh no 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 stop that is because all you're just doing is just polluting the pot and making it so much worse but it's harder when you go through like the whole realm of like yes positive actions positive methods positive mentality how like how have you been handling the road like traveled at this present time well you know it comes with a lot of negativity as well Mm. especially especially in social media i'll give you an example okay um, because because storytelling you know is so easy to relate to so after my chest became concave um and i was in horrible pain physical and emotional 
I posted a picture of me um, with a very tight fitted shirt on, on social media. Mm. And some, and a man responded to my post and he said, were you born a woman or a man? And that, that hurt me. And, and I was upset that it hurt me because I really don't care what other people think of me because I lost my pride, my ego. When I was diagnosed with cancer, I just said, okay, I'm shredding that. And so it, I was surprised that person's comment affected me. But that whole newness, right, of losing your, you know, as a woman, that's our part of our identity. That whole newness of lo- losing my chest mm. was, was it stung. His, his, his answer stung. And I looked in the mirror and I said to myself, am I, am I okay with this? And other people aren't? Like, what am I missing? Like, if this guy thinks I'm a man, do I look like a man? So I started to question myself. And I used to do that all the time. And it took me a couple of days. I didn't respond to him because I didn't want to respond to him out of malice. I wanted to respond to him out of compassion because that's also a choice. And so I responded to him two days later and I said, why did you ask me that? And he, and he, and he stopped. He responded in a kind way and he said, forget it. I shouldn't have asked that. Mm. And, but it took me about three days to digest it. So that's just one small example of negativity. I get slung, I get negativity all the time on social media. I get people that sling, you know, accusations or, or not accusations, but like what you said, you know, well, what do you, who do you think you are and blah, 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 and whatever. I don't care what they say because I'm unstoppable in the pursuit of what I'm doing. And, and when you are unstoppable in the pursuit of what you're doing in this world, that intimidates people. People want to label you as like seeking attention or whatever. And when you don't fit that mold, when you're not seeking attention and they know your heart and they know you're not doing that, they want to sling any even more. They want to throw mud even more. I say, let them, Mm. it doesn't, it doesn't affect me. Yeah. Like I often find when the biggest people who like the people who sling the most mud are the ones who do the least with their lives uh, because they like it's the only way they can find sort of value uh, by trying to drag other people down especially if they're trying to like look um like they, they might go oh it's your own self-interest but like it's a case of look i'm trying like, i'm trying to do some good in the world yeah is there going to be a positive benefit for myself yes it's not going to be completely selfless but it's what I'm trying to do with you going out there and going, Hey, what the hell? Blah, 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 blah. Let me throw this mother at you, that mother at you. It's like, okay, what, why are you throwing that mud? Have a look at your own life and evaluate where you are at before, you know, I mean, try bringing me down and maybe just work a little bit on yourself. You might find you might be a little bit happier. I'm just saying, if, if you get what I mean, you know? Well, of course. I mean, we mirror how we feel about ourselves, right? We react how we feel about ourselves, which is why I try to always react out of compassion. It's not, I'm not perfect at it. Right. I mean, if somebody cuts me off in the middle of the road, (laughs) I honk and that's, you know, but I don't, I try not to react out of pride anymore. And I try not to react out of malice. Like, Oh, I'm going to get you back for what you did to me. Instead, I try to stop my adverse reactions to people and say, okay, no, how can I react out of compassion? And I change, I shift, but that's, that's conscious editing, right? 
That's a conscious mind. Those are choices. And I don't think a lot of people have gone through the time or the introspection to get to where I am. It was like a full-time job for me for several years to get to where I am. But now I have the wisdom to give it out. So I'm just trying to give it out. Mm, I hear you. I hear you. And like, yeah, you're using other forms of media to get out there. Like you've got yourself a podcast as well, did you? You know what? I started doing that like six years ago and I stopped. Why? I'm, because I'm a, I love to be interviewed. I don't like to interview. They're different. So I spend a lot of time being interviewed. I like that part of it. Uh, I see. I see. So ask the questions? No. Answering the <laughs> questions? Yes. Ah. Yeah, it's easier for me. I mean, listen, I, I, I like, even I only have 24 hours in a day. I wish I had more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Sign but, me up. Yeah, like, put it this way. Like, yeah, if you were doing the broadcast as well, I'd be like, going, hey, like, what the hell? But you know what I mean? Like, all I've got to simply say is that is a lot. But like, yeah, that. <laughs> this is where most people are like, um, what? But yeah, you're on the board of two nonprofits. Sorry, like, no worries, no worries. <laughs> it's like, hey, if you want to wreck your house, that's your business. <laughs> I'm just sitting here, like thousands of miles away, like watching. That's like, yeah. I'm like, uh, I'm like yeah, yeah. I was what? I was doing the interview, and then all of a sudden, she just starts to wreck a house, like bit by bit. I was like, what did you do? I, I, I called my lady in the room. We both sat down, got some popcorn. It was an like entertaining show. <laughs> she had transitions and everything. What? Yeah. I haven't laughed all day, so thank you for this. Oh. I appreciate that. Well, I'm. I'm happy to help, happy to help. But yeah, not yet. Just when, like, just when I thought, you know what I mean? Yeah, might be at the tip of the iceberg. Like, just yeah. like, okay. Yeah, you, you're on the board of two nonprofits, as I just said. Yes. What are these nonprofits? And like, <laughs> yeah. And your like, face, what? your facial expressions. I hope you put this podcast, I hope you put the video out because your facial expressions are genius. <laughs> look, 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 this is the thing. You're looking at me like, what in the world? No, because like, yeah, what in the world? Look, I'm, look I've spoken to a number of people in my time and like, there's like- 104 yeah. times. Well, hey, uh, and like basically, yeah, I've spoken to some extraordinary people with like, yeah, when they go, yeah, I've done this, I've done that. I'm going, what the hell? It, it's one of those things which fascinates me, amazes me. And like, yeah, it shows like if you have a focused mind, there is, yeah. you can practically do anything. amazing things. Almost anything. anything. Yeah. So like extraordinary things. But like the whole thing is you kind of like go, okay, where does all the time go? Uh, like, look. Don't get me wrong. Hey, I mean, I I am guilty of watching a number of TV shows on the binge. That's like, yeah, <laughs> like, like, I'm, like I'm, yeah. Will, will I do it again? Yes, I I will do it again. <laughs> I make no bones about that. I've looked in the mirror. I go, come on, man, stop it. You're wasting right. too much time. But it's like, uh, yeah, but we're gonna sit down and watch this show. <laughs> but yeah. Two boards. Okay, Two look. Boards. Yeah, look, one board is like, okay, that's chat like that. Might, 
that must be challenging enough. But you know what I mean? Two, don't tell me you've got another t- couple of non-profits <laughs> waiting in the sidelines. I was like, hey, okay, you're like, when you join us? But yeah. yeah. Thank you. Well, again, it's such a privilege to be on these boards. It's such a gift for me to be able to do this. I am on the board of a company called eBeauty. It's a nonprofit organization. It's a wig exchange program for women who are going through treatment that cannot afford a wig. Yeah. We have partnered with L'Oreal, who gives us grant money. And we've partnered with Paul Mitchell Salons, who they, their teaching schools wash and uh, style our wigs. So we have redistributed over 60,000 wigs to people that cannot afford them. And so it's a privilege, it's a gift to be on this board because we are doing so much good for women who desperately need it. For me, I was able to buy wigs when I was going through chemotherapy and I felt really safe wearing a wig, you know, looking mm. semi like myself. Can you imagine a woman not being able to buy, afford a wig when she loses her hair? It's not right. So we're filling that gap for people and it's a free resource. So it's great. Yeah, because like, this is the thing, like, okay, with regards to like identifiers or like basically like things for ladies which really sort of like put that mark on who they are and like what their identity is okay look it's i would say the cup size it can be for some ladies but more like most definitely the hairstyle what you can do with your hair how you can like yeah it's one of those things which is the main thing am i empowered or am i like vulnerable like yeah like how you frame yourself and how it just affects the rest of what you wear as well so like being able to like go yeah you know what here's a wig for this one of the hardest times in your life to maybe give you some or some semblance of who you were or like humanity yes yeah Exactly. Well, that, I mean, literally I am a humanitarian. That's one of the reasons why. And the other board, well, and by the way, I lost my hair and my breasts. So the two identifiers, I was gone. I was, you know, that's, Mm. that's difficult. Um, The other board that I'm on is called people of purpose. I speak in the prison system in the state of Florida and I speak in male prisons. One of the inmates who went, was out of jail four years ago, reached out to me on social media. And he said to me, I have a great idea. I'd like to meet with you. And I said, no problem. So I met, I drove an hour and a half to meet with him for lunch. Some people questioned me. Some of my friends said, you know, drop a, drop your maps of where you are when you go drop a pin. And I said, no, I I trust this person. And, and I met with him and he said, well, we, I'd really like to change the rate of recidivism in Palm beach County, which is where he was in jail. And I said, okay, well, how are we going to do that? And if you'll notice, I said, we, I was all in Mm. because I have a heart for prisoners. I have a heart, I have a heart for anybody that feels imprisoned, right? There's plenty of us that feel imprisoned outside of jail. I mean, I've never been to jail, but that doesn't mean that we, a lot of people have never been to jail, but they feel a prisoner in their own life. And so I have a heart for people like that. And so I was like, sign me up. So he compiled, he had a group of people who joined his board. I was, I'm the president of the board and we have started to change the rate of recidivism for the past three years. And we're doing great things. We're not feeding 
so to speak, the prisoners when they get out, we're teaching them how to fish mm. and we're equipping them with knowledge. And that's how we're trying to change the, the culture there. Yeah, like because look, this is the thing. Like we're meant to live in a society. Okay, look, if we make like make our mistakes and like yeah, if we fall and like yes, if prison is one of those things which happen to people, like it's meant to be like you've paid your price, like you've paid your with time, and yeah. that's meant to be it. You get a fresh yeah. start. But unfortunately, uh yeah. that's not the case. Uh it's a case of yeah. that's once done that person is forever like not so like not so much tormented with it just weighed down with it like some millstone and trying to get past it is somewhat tough uh like somewhat nigh impossible and it's not a surprise they sometimes end up back in that sort of trap you know exactly yeah it's a it's a it's a failed system. The system is failing people. Mm, I would say it's most definitely flawed, uh, to say the least. Um, and trying to get that moving in the right direction, if you can help yeah. one or two people, I would imagine the financial costs to the state, like well, savings, I should say, must be quite extraordinary. And I don't think enough people actually understand that. Yeah. Uh, because many moons ago, I used to work for a company called uh, Mega Nexus, and they had a program where they did kind of the same things, like to help uh, basically people reoffending. And it turns yeah. out for the UK, and any time someone reoffends, it costs like this was back in two thousand eight. Anytime someone reoffends, it costs like one hundred and forty-six thousand pounds. The numbers stuck with me because it was like it costs that much money, and a lot. yeah. So God knows what it is today. Maybe it's two hundred thousand. Right. Maybe it's like maybe it's the same. But if you can save that, that's sure. that's a couple of teachers. If you can save that, that's a yeah. that's a couple of nurses. If you can save that, that's a doctor. Like all of these that's things, right. you can go. It can help improve society and make it better. But it's like Beautiful. yeah. Beautiful. That's a great way to say it. Yeah, you're right. Hey, now I'm going to ask, like, with regards to, like, one last thing, and I'm going to end it with, like, yes, the book being turned into a film. How on earth did that get kicked off? That's like, hey, (laughs) book, now, film. Hey, how? A lot of prayer. A lot of prayer. A lot of prayer. Um, I always wanted my book to become a film. I wrote the last chapter in a way that it, it looked like a film, you know, like walking off set into the sun, uh, walking off set into the sunset. Um, and a man, a really incredible human being named, named Ziad Hamza, who is an Oscar award winning screenplay writer. Mm-hmm. He, he was gifted my book. He reached out to me through uh, somebody that I know. And, and reach out to me and said, I will, I'm going to write the script for your book. I'm going to write the screenplay for zero money. I just want to be a part of this. Nice. This is a, gr- this is a huge story. This needs to be told. And I just want to do anything I can to be a part of it. He wrote the script in six weeks. And ever since then, he has been the lead charge in producing this. And it was supposed to start filming in March of, I'm sorry, in May of 2020, but it got postponed from um, COVID. And so it's, it's still in the works, but it's been postponed. 
Mm. But it's kind of, well, it's a fictional depiction of my life, but it's kind of a cross between two movies. The movie Wild with Reese Witherspoon, which was actually a book made into a film, and the movie Steel Magnolias. We have not had a really good chick flick in a long time. You know, Hollywood kind of turned into animation and violence. We need, we need a good chick flick. And I hope that this fills that space. But it's an important movie because it shows such, you know, uniting amongst women. And I, I, I'm excited about it. Oh, outstanding. Outstanding. Oh, man. So, like, with it being turned into a screenplay and everything like this, like, oh, and yeah, soon, soon to go into production. Like, yes, like, lucky. Yeah. Who lucky. Pun. It's very lucky. Well, yeah, I would say lucky to an extent. But like, yeah, all I've got to simply say is, yeah, some people can, you can say it's lucky, but yeah, only up to a point. <laughs> there has to be some sort of like, yeah, angling and working what goes Oh, on. yeah. No, I'm very driven. If you haven't, it's uh, it's an hour and eight in, minutes into the podcast. If you don't realize how driven I am by now, you haven't listened at all. <laughs> I don't get that. No, <laughs> I don't seem, seem quite chill to me. It's like, it's like I'm, yeah, like driven, it's ambitious. <laughs> it's like, just like me on the scale. Yeah, it's like, I don't think every anybody in my life has ever called me chill. Is <laughs> like that? Intense, driven, yeah, focused, yeah. Like if this was Hamilton, yeah, the music, like the track, lazy, stop would come in, yeah, just like yeah, just general slacker to me, <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> Don't know what your friends are talking about. <laughs> uh, you, you have anything else to say? <laughs> So who would you want to star in this film if you had a choice in any, any actress? Well, I absolutely have no choice in the matter. And the person that is playing it, I, I, well, that signed on. Mm. I don't know if that's going to change because actresses have different projects. And because yeah. it's been postponed, it might change. The person that I always dreamt about playing it is a woman named Jamie King. So most of my illness happened when I was about four, 38 to 40. And so the, the actress needs to be that age. Yeah. Jamie King was a former supermodel turned actress. She's incredible. Her acting is incredible. And so because she was a model and then an actress, it makes sense because I, in the I mean, the, the woman of the movie is a model, right? And so she looks like a model. She's kind of got that statuesque mm -hmm. kind of willowy figure. And, and so I think she would be perfect for it. So in my wildest dreams, that, who I, that is who I would pick. She's an American actress, Jamie King. Jamie King? I'll, I'll have to look her up. What? Look her up. She's, she'd be perfect for it. Okay. More well, like this thing. She knows the modern life. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Now. Final question. I'm like, this is going to be a true test of your psychological worth. Mm. Yes. Now, if I, ha like, because I'm a, I have to reveal this, 
moment of truth. I am a being of supreme cosmic power. And yes, I can grant you one wish uh, uh, before you say anything, because I know you, because look, you've got that sort of look in your eye. You can't wish for more wishes. You can't wish for an infinite amount of wishes. You can't write down on a piece of paper that, yeah, make everything come true on this piece of paper. You can't look. You can't wish for like COVID to get like go away. No world peace because look, I've had to make deals with like Dolly Parton and like yeah, the power of Whitney Houston to just get like a vaccine going. I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> it's like it's like yeah, that's just too much cosmic car- currency. Now, right. if I can give you one wish, what would that one wish be? The only thing I would give everything up in my life for my two sons to be healthy and happy and live enriched lives. Ah, That's it. Enriched lives. When you say enriched, any sort of clear definition or like, yes. Not rich, enriched. I know you said enriched, but it's like, yes, you could be enriched Um, in many ways. I want them to be dependent on their faith. I don't want them to be dependent on the world like I was. I don't want them to make the same mistakes. I don't want them to be involved in drinking and partying and things like that, that are a waste of their time. I want them to pour into faith. I want them to have, to marry women who are leaders. I want them to be in relationship with people that stand for each other. And so, and and regardless of what they do in life, I, I don't care if they're, you know, if they work on the street, I don't care if they work in a, in a home Depot, it doesn't matter to me. Rich doesn't mean, happiness like wealth doesn't mean happiness i want them to feel enriched i want them to have that kind of life outstanding outstanding ah <laughs> ah miss handy yes yes can you tell the lovely people how they can find you out there i've got to say yeah thank you um i'm out there i you know if you just google christine handy i'm out there but I have a website called christinehandy.com. I'm on most social media platforms, christinehandy1 on Instagram. I, um, I do a lot of interviews, so I'm out there. Yeah, reach out. And I'm, all, I'm very accessible. I, I respond to messages, so reach out. Uh, brilliant, brilliant. I've got to say, all of this information will be put on the show notes in the description. So yes, go out, find Christine. She is, what can I say? Like she's exhausting, tiring, and like she's far too driven. No, (laughs) it's like, I think she'll give you a like pep in your step and that little bit of motivation you might need to get things going. Uh, Definitely someone well worth having in your life. So, hey, Christine, thank you for coming on today. You have been a superstar to say the least. Mm. thank you oh my pleasure oh there you go there you go and i'd like to say thank you to you my friends my life warriors uh, for sticking with us staying with us up until this point uh so let me just say this to you please stay safe stay well be awesome be excellent be fantastic be all the positive bees you can be in this world and then some have a great day guys yes i salute you peace ah and we are